0: Welcome back, pool fans from across the country and around the world. You're listening to American Billiard Radio. My name is Mr. Bond, and I'll be your host once again this week. It is June the 4th, 2015. And you know what's going on? Well, it's just under a month away from the Atlantic Challenge Cup. Yes, it is. That's going to be taking place July the 1st through the 4th, and it is the first time that there has been a team of United States juniors versus a team of European juniors. And they're going to be playing it out in a Moscone Cup-type format where that's a team event, and they're going to be matching up singles and doubles and all the rest. It's going to be an exciting, exciting event. And if you didn't know, if you hadn't been keeping up with the details, It was just announced the other day they're going to be playing on a table with the corner pockets that are less than four and a half inches wide, tight, tight pockets on this table. So I'm guessing there's going to be some shots missed on both sides for uh, both teams, because that's a tight table. Let me tell you that right now. So anyway, in keeping with the spirit of that, we're going to be talking with the coach of the american junior team mr earl munson here in a minute and then a little bit later you know the uh, hall of fame nominations are are coming out and so uh, we're talking with one of the gentlemen that's involved with that uh, mike Pinozo of billiards digest magazine and uh, he's going to give us a lowdown about the whole hall of fame process you know how they're nominated and how they vote and that whole bit so stick around for that a little bit later in the show But first, we're gonna kick it all off with your One Minute Pool Instructor.
1: Hi, I'm Scott Lee. This is Randy G. And welcome to the One Minute Pool Instructor. So what do we got today, Scott? You know, Randy, let's talk about something that I think applies to all pool players and we see it uh, universally, whether it's pro players or beginners. Now pro players of course, do everything eccentrically and can get away with it because they've been doing it the same way for 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah,
2: 48 hours a
1: week. Too, yeah, yeah exactly. but the the thing that uh, one of the one of the things we see the most is not getting your tip close to the cue ball when you're lining it up. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean that's like every sport has its set position or
2: its starting position. Uh, just think of a professional um, basketball player when he goes to the free throw line of how anal he is with his feet, mm-hmm. or a professional bowler when he's just gonna ready to drop his ball. I mean they they all have a starting position. In pool, I think the ideal starting position is about a quarter inch from the cue ball before you start your warm-ups, and then after your warm-ups, you return to that quarter-inch.
1: But if you get it that quarter-inch, that's really small. Yeah, that's really close. And and uh, boy, we see this a lot, don't we? Amateur players try to get their tip close, and they bump the ball, and oh my gosh, there's a yeah, ball they, in hand, and maybe now, they lose the
2: game. Because now they, they stay away two inches Yeah, because they're, well, it, it's all a practice routine. It is. I mean, everything you, we learn,
1: you have to practice, so
2: yeah. Yeah, every shot starts with your cue stick or your Q tip about a quarter inch, half inch, but a quarter inch is better.
1: Well, you know what we say, a quarter inch if you don't wear glasses and a half an inch if you do. I'll give it that. The other thing I tell
2: my, my students is if, if you don't start your Q tip a quarter inch from the cue ball, I can't teach you any aiming system. Right. Because all your errors are, are magnified the further are you away from the cue ball. So, no matter what you're doing, CTE, offset, aiming, ghost ball, you have to start with your tip a quarter inch from the cue ball.
1: Well, and here's another thing, if your tip is a couple inches away, how the heck you know where you're hitting it? No, yeah, yeah, you can't, yeah, you're close, you hit, it, hit
2: the ball, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you hear you and I talk about we, we strike our cue ball within a millimeter of yeah. the perfect, you know, yeah. and, and they can't even hit the cue ball sometimes. But, um, so, yeah, I think it's an, a fault. That people just don't know they're supposed to start their their cue stick a quarter inch from the cue ball. One of the things that happens is they start swinging their cue the minute they put their bridge down. You betcha. And, and that's not right either. You're supposed to set your cue stick, your cue bridge down, and then your cue stick, and then you can start
1: moving it. But so well, and and I think we should probably talk a little bit about well, how can you learn to get your tip that close? Because it's certainly not easy for some people and I think that I know what I do uh, it's like anything else you have to go outside your normal tempo and rhythm we all have a a rhythm and tempo to our warm-up strokes some are really fast, some are are, uh, kinda fast, some are sorta slow but not really but the bottom line is that you have to almost go to slow motion to train yourself to get that tip up there close. And guess what? You're going to touch the tip to the ball. Well, it's a never a foul in practice. Right. That's why you okay. don't learn to do it in competition. Yeah,
2: you, Making a <laughs> foul in practice is actually a good thing.
1: Well, it is because you have to touch the ball with your tip to let your depth perception figure out where it's sitting. And then you can train yourself to stop just short. So what's it take one of your students to figure that out? A day, half a day? Yeah, well I think just uh, a, an hour of uh, training, whether it's all at once or broken into little five minute segments. That's, that's what I find too. Uh, and, and then you just, you start to learn. So if you can get them to go to slow motion and keep their eye on the cue ball, because of course you can't get that tip close if you're looking somewhere else. No. And then uh, practice that in a very slow rhythmic manner, according to whatever your routine is, and after a while you'll go back to your normal tempo. So do your warm-up
2: strokes have to come within a quarter
1: inch? No, the
2: only the, the first and the last yeah, one. Yeah, the, the preset and the final set. Right. Okay.
1: Well, I like that, and, and you can learn that. Yeah, uh, through practice. Yeah, and the easiest way to learn is to go outside your normal. Oh yeah, get outside normal yep. tempo and rhythm and yep. slow down. My God, do something different. Yeah, and talk to yourself. All right, <laughs> that's a great way to learn that, Randy. Well, for the one-minute pool instructor, I'm Scott Lee. Yep, this is still Randy G, and we'll see you next week on American Billiard Radio.
0: Okay, we're back, and I'm talking with Earl Munson, who's been uh, commissioned to be the uh, coach for the Junior Atlantic Cup team for United States. How you doing, Earl? I'm
3: doing good. Thank you, David. Doing good
0: today. Good. You guys, uh, are you got your heads above water down there in Texas, or what?
3: Well, actually, I'm down here on the edge of Florida right now. Okay. But, uh, yeah,
0: Texas
3: has got a lot of rain, so... Yeah, and kind of fortunate to be down here in sunny Florida.
0: Ah, okay. Well, then you're down there with all the the heat and the mosquitoes, then. <laughs> exactly.
3: Exactly.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, I know that you you are a, an experienced instructor, and that you've worked with uh, the juniors quite a bit in the past. How did uh, this position come about?
3: Well, I was I've been a a BCA instructor since 1997. Uh, trained under Randy Galanker at uh, Key Tech, mm-hmm. um, then I created the the first after school billiard program in, in the United States in 2001, and ran it for 13 years. Uh, we had about 16 high schools. Um, I had uh, probably close, almost close to a thousand students where the high schools actually competed among each other, awesome. just like the football, basketball, um, mm-hmm. baseball teams did. You know, the students wore their uniforms and. Um, they got scholarships and pep rallies and trophies for the school's trophy case. And um then in 2001, I started working with the BEF since I was working with the high school program. And uh, I've been working with the BEF, the Board Education Foundation, for about 15 years now. And then about 10 years ago, this will be my 10th year, I started as the, the BEF Junior National Tournament Director. So mm-hmm. this will be my 10th year when we go to Vegas in august and i've also in the last i've done three world pool Billiard uh, association championships world champion junior championships i've been a team leader for that in 2010 in reno nevada and then 2013 we were in johannesburg south africa and then last year in november we went to shanghai china and Mm i was again team leader for the u.s and canada
0: Awesome, awesome. So I guess you were just a natural choice to take up uh, the the coaching for the for the the uh, USA team. Yeah,
3: yeah. I guess the experience. I guess they must like me. But uh, there's a <laughs> lot of good, uh, you know, coaches and trainers and and people out there. But uh, since I have a lot of experience with the juniors, that's, that's why I think I've been
0: selected. Excellent, excellent. Well, you know, um, I. I I was just reading the other day that uh, the the tables that you guys are going to be competing on are going to have some awfully tight pockets. Uh, for those of you that haven't uh, uh, got that piece of information yet, the pockets in the corners are actually going to be smaller than four and a half inches. It's about 110 millimeters, so these tables are, are, are by no means going to be easy to deal with. and. I'm guessing that you know the European team is not going to be that easy to deal with. Where do you where do you start to address that with your kids?
3: Well, what, what's really fortunate is we had to uh, express concern: is how do we actually make this team? I mean, just by putting six players together, if we just went over to Austria to compete. It's not really a team, right? Um, so we, we needed to to. to to get together before we left. Um, And fortunately, we expressed the concern. Sandeep, the executive director from the Boated Education Foundation, Mm -hmm. had contacted Jeanette Lee, and Jeanette has her Black Widow Foundation, which is running a training camp um, for juniors. And we expressed to her, we we told her what we'd like to do, and Jeanette said, absolutely, let's do this. So... It's really, it's kind of unbelievable because Jeanette's picking up the tab for all the players, uh, myself and also Johnny Archer, to fly into Indianapolis to stay at her house where she's going to feed the team, you know, house the team. She's putting together a sparring team for the players. Um, she's got the uh, room called the Brickyard in Indianapolis that we'll be um, practicing in daily. Um, so that's how we're, we're, we're trying to prepare for this event, which is fortunate because we do have pros like Jeanette Lee and Johnny Archer helping. I mean, this is not just a, um, you know, a little event. We've got the yeah. whole U- US behind this team, which is really nice because yeah. as you know, being around the industry for many years, I hate to say, but there's a lot of politics,
0: Sure, you know, absolutely. but
3: but everybody—I mean, everybody—had come together. All the league organizations came together. They nominated yeah. um, six players: four boys, two girls, from each of the league systems, um, which we had gained a pool of twenty-five of the best U.S. junior players that we could find. Yeah, and from there, we had a selection committee um, that that whittled it down to ten players, and then we've got so obviously we've got six starters, and then four. Um, reserve players on the team.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. I didn't know that that uh, that Jeanette and uh, Johnny had stepped up to help you guys do that uh, the training sessions. That's outstanding. That's really good.
3: Oh yeah, we've got. I think uh, Mark Wilson. I think he's probably going to bring in some of his Lindenwood team mm-hmm. to spar. Uh, they're gathering in several pro players local. Know, top players in Indianapolis to, to help spark the team. So this is a truly a unique opportunity for the juniors, not just for our players but future players coming up. Because yeah. the industry is really watching, paying closely attention to what's happening with this event. Yeah, and if it's successful, this could really spawn off more high school programs that the BE, you know, the Bay Area Education Foundation is trying to promote, um, like with the BEF San she's doll she's doing a, a tremendous job. Uh, since she's taken over. In fact, this year I think she's got over 40 state championships in the works. Yeah, we're, we're going to have a big, we're going to have a really big field this year at the junior nationals. We're pretty excited.
0: Absolutely. And then,
3: uh, of course, uh, this this year again, the world championships for the juniors will be in in China. So we'll have a bigger pool again. To select from so that way the U.S. can be more successful,
0: absolutely. which
3: we well, we've had limited success in the past, but we're hoping to change that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that um, I I agree with you. The Billiard Education Foundation is doing a, a great job of rallying everybody to get more of these junior qualifiers. Um, I think that the kids, in some cases, the kids are out there and they just don't have the means. You know, there's not an event to compete at, uh, and in some cases, this is going to attract new kids, knowing that there's an event to compete at. So there's absolutely, you know, nothing bad could come of this.
3: Oh no, absolutely! I mean, this this is this could be the the little snowball that turns into the big snowball. Yeah, and I've been doing this for close to 20 years working with juniors and this i'm very excited about this i like i said i've been to the world junior championships but this is this is different i mean it's again it, it's the whole industry coming
0: together and that's what really excites everybody right right exactly what do you think is going to be now since you've been there and seen this you know go down so many times before What do you think is going to be the most intimidating thing for these kids that are going to be going to this competition? Is it, you know, the table? Is it the competition, the actual players that they're facing? Or do you think it's going to be just the fact that they're in Austria in some strange place, you know, with everybody staring at them? You know, what's the worst, you know, what do you want to get into into the kids' heads to help them through this?
3: I I think, honestly, all of the above. Yeah. Um, We do have... We do have a few players that have um, a few years with Nick Evans has played in a couple of the uh, world championships. Right. April Larson, I, I believe she's played in three world championships. So they're, they're the only two players that we have have world experience that have actually faced these European players. And I only faced them. They were down, for instance, um, April Larson in Johannesburg, South Africa in 2013. She was playing um, the gold medalist from the previous year from the girls a girl from belgium um, they were racing april was down five to one and you know we thought well poor april but april come back and beat the girl from belgium six to five which stunned the europeans stunned everybody in wow. south africa going who is this curly haired girl with glasses <laughs> and then and, and then again you know, we stunned the Europeans last year with Nick Devon in Shanghai, China. Um, Nick was down, uh, I believe, 5-3, to three, raised to 6, and kid from Poland, which will be playing the ACC this year, missed an easy shot with a nine ball in the side pocket. Nick came back, made an unbelievable comeback, some incredible shots, and stunned them, beat them 6-5. So. We do have two players that, when they go there, they will intimidate the Europeans. Now, mm-hmm. as far as the, the, the table play, I, I believe it, it, it'll it'll probably make, you know, it'll be an effect on the players, but a lot of the players play on the diamond table, so they play on sure. pretty tight pockets, quick tables. I do think, and what we're going to work hard on, we're going to go to camp in Indianapolis June 23rd to June 20, 28th, uh, we're going to work hard in which the players are going to be playing under a 35 second shot clock. Ooh. Most of these players have not played a, under a clock conditions. I think that's going to be the factor. Mm. They're going to have to think and execute much quicker than they ever had before. Right. Um, so that that will definitely be a factor. Another factor that, from the world from my experience, is uh, probably a lot of players are not familiar with this rule. But it's a three ball break rule, where you have to either pocket a three balls on the break, or pocket a ball in combination of balls passing the headstring. Ah, so we, okay. we, we kind of got caught up on that in the past. So we're going to have to really hone get a more powerful, controlled break. You know, we'll, Luckily, like I said, we've got Johnny Archer with his... And I think he's got two decades of experience with the Moscone Cup. they sure. got Jeanette Lee with her Moscone Cup. Mark Wilson, you know, he's He's been the team captain for the last two years for the Moscone Cup. So with all the fundamentals as far as the, the break and the clock, I think I think the players, the junior players, will be in good hands, but we've got to make sure that they set a good rhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to see them maybe set like a good 25-second rhythm because after 25 seconds, the ref will give them a 10-second warning. Mm-hmm. So I'd like them to be able to basically survey the table quicker, you know, solve um, the, the shot, select the shot quicker, yeah. solve the solution for the shot making and position play, and then execute the shot quicker. Um, and I think if we can do that, we'll be a lot more successful um, in this. You know, in this in this event. It's yeah, be challenging, but I think we can do it.
0: Yeah, that's true. It, uh, you mentioned some, a couple of the rules, and that's and that's good because I was going to ask you if there was any other rules that are particular to the Atlantic Cup. And, and so you said there is going to be a shot clock and then they're going to have the break rule uh, with the balls having to pass the headstring. What is there any other particulars um, about the nine on the break or any other things that that, that are different than regular play?
3: No, not not so much, Nate. We're playing by world-standardized rules. Okay. Um, but, but there will be a referee presiding So I think... That in all ball foul rules, it's not usually at the BFG Nationals. We'll have referees standing by, but the the players are basically calling the fouls on themselves. Right. So I don't I don't think the players are accustomed to playing with a referee at the table mm-hmm. and with the shot clock. So that will be an, a factor and an intimidating factor. But not just for us; it's going to be for both teams.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you know, just off the top of your head, um, it, is this event going to be uh, taped or filmed or, or streamed? Is, is there any way for us to watch it as it's underway?
3: Um, currently, yeah, I couldn't really answer that. I know okay. that they're going to stream this, but I'm not sure as far as what the web address would be. Okay. Um, we will definitely be funding all that out and letting everybody know. Because sure. Well, we just don't want just the Europeans to be able to root for their side. We right. want to make sure the U.S. will be able to watch this event also.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely true. Do you know Do you know enough about the venue to be able to tell us what the capacity is, like how many people are actually going to be on the scene watching it?
3: You know, I, I honestly, I don't know that either. Okay. I know that the event in Rankwall in Austria, this, uh, the venue, um, I believe that they've had other... Past billion events there, so I'm I'm, I'm pretty sure that the eating capacity is pretty large. That's why they picked it. Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: Um,
3: of course, you know, we're going to have our our few families that are going, um, American families are going, but uh, you know, obviously, there's going to be more Europeans there rooting them on. But we'll we'll be loud, and I'm sure the American team will be supporting us. Will be pretty loud. And yeah, <laughs> we'll, and, and we know everybody back in the U.S. You know, is going to be be rooting for us. Oh yeah, everybody's been. And, you know, contributing, um, in contributing uh, in words of third there is a Facebook page um, for the Atlantic Challenge Cup Juniors, and if you know if you're out there, just just say hey and you know thank the the, the, the committee members and the people that are involved because they've really put a lot of work into this, you sure. know, such as uh, Ken Nemetsik. This was his this is his brainchild, um, you know. We should all thank him because of his vision and hard work for making this possible. Yes, and then also, you know, Rob Johnson, Shane Tyree from the of Congress of America—they've kind of been the point, the mm. lead point—and sure. then obviously the Barrier Education Foundation, mm-hmm. um, the committee members. Uh, a lot of a lot of work went under went into this in, in the background um, with the selection committee headed by Rick Donner. He's the uh, chairman. We also had uh, Phil Capel, we had Jeanette Lee, Johnny Archer, Lois Smith, uh, myself, and uh, there was Sherry Stouch, Tom Riccobini from the DEF. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of people involved putting this together, a lot of hard work, Yeah. a lot of of hours.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you're right, we should thank them because uh, this is an outstanding opportunity for the juniors to, uh, you know, it's to aspire to, you know, it's something else for them to use as a goal. Uh, Another reason to train. It's another avenue for bringing up new players. And as we all know, you know, without new players, there's not going to be much pool going on in the world. So, you know, we should support this as much as we can. And along those same lines, are you guys fundraising for this at the time?
3: No, no, this this event has actually been funded through Skip Nemesaki. I guess he wrote a grant proposal to the Bowling Billiards Industry Association. I believe that's the mm-hmm. um, the acronym. Um, so there's not there hasn't been really much fundraising as far as the you know donations from everybody. I mean, it's welcome because we've got next year and and future events coming. But there are sponsors that also have. Yeah. Contributed, and I believe I do believe that there is um, kind of a contribution where, uh, if there's any business vendors out there that want to showcase their the products or their companies, that they can they can go to the of Education Foundation and, and you know ask uh, Sam Deep for more information on that. Yeah, where yeah. they can put the, the advertisements and the sponsor logos. They're going to have, I believe, like twenty six or more. TV screens along the actual yeah, play area of the yeah. venue, so it's going to be. Well, I think that will be intimidating itself
0: with all the TV screens. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there you go. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. Well, and like I said, you know, uh, y- there's only a couple of these these kids have, uh, have played on the world stage, and 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 how many of them played in front of cameras. You know, also is another big factor. Um, I I don't want to be pessimistic, but I think that uh, Europe is going to have some great players, and so I these guys, these kids, man, we're behind them a hundred percent. Don't get me wrong, but I think that you guys have got your work cut out for you. So it, you know, it's going to take a lot of effort, a lot of concentration. Yeah, I, I agree, I'm, I,
3: and I'm not going to lie to you. I, I believe. And I hate to say this, but I do believe we are the underdog because we're playing in Europe's backyard. True. Um, Very true. The the players, from my experience watching the European players in three uh, world events, they're they're, they're strong. I mean, they're meddling um, every year. Mm -hmm. They're they're competitive. But like I said, we we have beat their top players and we have spun them. So I don't know which way this will go, but I'd rather go in. You know as the underdog just like Nick Evans and April Larson, when they when That's they came right. back from behind to win That's hey right. I, I that, that win right there was more than if they would have just blown those players away so yeah I'll take that we'll, we'll we'll be the underdog and and then just we'll just play it out and see where it'll go and then you know if we're if we don't do well this year, hey, we will be back next year.
0: But That's right. We,
3: this event this event ain't over yet, so we haven't played it. That's so I'm, right. I'm I'm optimistic, <laughs> I and mean, we've got six very talented players. Um, we've got, like I said, Taylor Hanson, uh, April Larson, Drake Mead Pitter. Um, we've got, uh, Mick Evans, Joshua Franklin, and geez, did I forget anybody? And Tyler Brandon Yeah. So yeah we're we're good and and what's really nice about this is the cross section of representation from these players is from all the organizations that's mm. that's what's unique about yeah. the selection when it when it first came out, it was like well where are we going to draw the players from that is the first question from the committee yeah. the only the only really organization that had any world experience was the b f They're the only ones that send players internationally yeah but it was nice that we invited players from the APA to the CSI, VNEA, ACS, um, even the Super Billiard's Expo at Allen uh, Hopkins, mm-hmm. and we drew in a, a top pool. And, and as as the the team leader for the World Championships and working with the Junior Nationals for 10 years, I, I look at this event as you know, great, but I also look at it hopefully to draw a larger pool from all these organizations, hopefully, get, yeah. their, get into the BF Junior nationals exactly. so they can compete at the World Junior Championships. Also,
0: right, right, and you know something else I meant to mention too, um, as you might very well be aware, you know, tournament play is one thing, uh, and one-on-one matches are one thing, but that format, the the way that it is, similar to the Moscone Cup. And that sort of arena-style team play—it's a whole different, whole different ball game. So as tough as the European team uh, members may be to beat in a tournament or somewhere else, this is sort of the equalizer. You know, it—it's it, not. It, I don't think anybody's going to run away with it. I think it's going to be a lot closer than what we might suspect. Either way, no matter who wins, I, I, I don't I, think I, it's—I don't think anybody's I, running away with it.
3: I I agree. I I, I don't think it'll be. I mean, the Europeans are tough. I think. I think as far as like a team advantage that we do have is that all of our players are from one country,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and
3: the Europeans, you've got the language and social differences.
0: Sure. That
3: I. I'm curious. I'm curious how that plays because when we go to the, Mm. it's funny when we go to the World Championships, like when we were in Shanghai last year and the year before in South Africa. You know, it, we watch the European um, how they act as a team because we all, everybody wears their uh, Europeans wear their their polo shirts and America, We've got our uniform being represented, but but it, you know they, they're like you said they're playing individually. But as a team, I, I'm I'm really really curious how this is going to pan out. For I know I think we'll, we'll as a team I think we'll play our group will be tighter possibly than their group. You know, I, I, I really believe that because of the training camp that we'll be going to in Indianapolis for six days and mm-hmm, a team mm-hmm. consisting of the same country. So it's going to be interesting. I, that was a good question. I'm
0: really, really curious yeah, about that. Yeah, me too. I'm absolutely curious about that. That's uh, because it is a, it's a big issue. You know, how well the team gels, it, it, it has a lot to do with the confidence and the support that you get, you know, in that situation. Do you know uh, who the European coach or team captain is at this point?
3: I, I do. Her name is Sandra. I can't remember her last name, but she is from Germany.
0: That's right. And
3: uh,
0: I remember reading. Been, that. Yeah,
3: she's been the team leader. For the last two years, she's been at the at the worlds. The last two years, so I, I do know Sandra. Very nice, very nice lady. Um, very passionate about the junior programs in Europe and. They're they're so so well developed for their junior programs, and if we were going to, um, you know, to try to do the same as them, it would definitely benefit us to see how they're doing things in Europe and sure. and try to copy what they're doing. And uh, good, I, I'm really excited. I mean, it'll be she'll she'll do well. I think uh yeah. to put her team together. We're going to have to work hard.
0: Good, good, good. Well, you know, um, just I want to add a little humor to the conversation. Um, When this last year's Moscone Cup uh, was uh, getting, when when it was approaching, um, we had done interviews with uh, both Johan and uh, Mark Wilson on the program. And so we decided to ask um, both of the coaches, just uh, in fun, if they would be willing to put a little wager on it. So uh, <laughs> the so the the bet is now you can decide if you're willing to take this. The bet is a chicken dinner. A chicken dinner. <laughs> so, hey. are you willing to bet Sandra a chicken dinner that we're gonna beat him? How about a
3: steak dinner?
0: <laughs> well, I know, but we have to be able to say winner winner chicken dinner. You know what I mean? So that's. <laughs>
3: I got you. I got you. <laughs> I, that chicken sounds good. I was.
0: Or you know maybe chicken fried steak, you know that might be better. All right. That'll work. Okay. All right. I'm confident. So you heard it, people. We have a standing wager against Team Europe right now. There's a chicken dinner on the line. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks a lot. I, I appreciate you taking the time, Earl, to talk to us. And obviously, we wish you the best of the best of the best of luck and uh, I hope you you guys can uh, do it because we, I mean, you know, obviously we're Americans, we want to see you know USA win, but we also want to see a successful event overall, anyway. So, uh, you know, so you guys do well and uh, bring home the trophy.
3: Will do, will do. And and just put another shout out, thank you to Jeanette Lee and the Black Widow Foundation. Yes. And to the, you know, if you can support the Brilliant Education Foundation, you know, do so. Both of these Foundations are doing some incredible work with juniors, and that's the only way we're going to grow. I mean, support them.
0: Thank you for supporting Team USA. We
3: appreciate it. Hey, no problem. We're going
0: to try our hardest. Absolutely, and we're going to be talking to you hopefully over the next couple of weeks. We're going to try to get a couple of the team members uh, on the show too and uh, talk to them about it. And so, great,
3: great. Looking forward
0: to it. Absolutely. All right, Earl. You take care, and we'll talk to you again very soon.
3: Thank you, David. Appreciate you. And everybody listening on the American Billiard Radio.
0: All right.
4: Welcome back to American Billiard Radio. This is the Legends and Champions Report, brought to you by Neil's Garage Cabinets of Mesa, Arizona. I'm your host, Mark Cantrell. And uh this week it's, it's kinda coming up on uh, the time for people to think about the Hall of Fame. And to be honest, I don't know a whole bunch about the Hall of Fame. I know that there is one. And so I have uh the main man uh who works with the Hall of Fame and uh, publisher of Billy Digest, Mr. Mike Pinozo with us. How are you doing, Mike?
5: I'm good, thank you. How are you?
4: Good, thanks. Um uh, like I said, I'm I know there's a Hall of Fame. I don't know a whole bunch about it, about how people are nominated, how the voting system works, the history of the Hall of Fame, or anything. So if you can start, tell tell us what is your role with the Hall of Fame so we know where the information is coming from.
5: Yeah, there's a lot of people out there who know, you know, players get introduced as Hall of Famers and they know there's a Hall of Fame, but they really don't know much about the process because it's not really publicized like, Football or baseballs Hall of Fames are, um, but essentially my role is is just kind of a a ringleader of the media group. There's a group called the United States Billiard Media Association, and it's just uh, about thirty people who write uh, for magazines or or are announcers or commentators or videographers or have websites. Uh, things like that people who have a good idea of who the top players are and can be objective in looking at their their histories and and i basically just corral everybody together you know a couple times a year to discuss things like the hall of fame voting um you know we just kind of orchestrate the voting on behalf of the bca uh the billiard congress of america it's their hall of fame uh so you know we're just the tool you know we're like the baseball writers are to the Baseball Hall of Fame. We, we just handle the election process.
4: And how, long, how long have you been involved with the Hall of Fame?
5: Um, well, I'll give you a little history lesson. Um, the Billiard Congress of America has been inducting people into the Hall of Fame since six, 1966, which is really kind of recent given how old the sport is. Um, and for many years, they just – the congress of america board the bca board would just get together the directors and and once a year they would say you know should we put someone in the hall of fame this year and and you know they would just pick someone in many of those years they didn't have the early years they didn't really have um formal ceremonies they just elected people to the hall of fame and sent them a plaque and things like that uh so that went on for a number of years and it had gotten to the point where um The Hall of Fame was being determined by, essentially, by people who were exhibitors at the trade show. And and I know that sounds really bizarre, and it it really kind of is, because what, what, what happened was as the trade show got bigger, people were voting members, everybody who exhibited at the trade show were voting members of the BCA. And the BCA used to put its Hall of Fame ballot out to its voting members. So, you know, all of a sudden it was being voted on by people who, you know, make lawn furniture in California, um which seemed like a really inappropriate way to determine who was going in something as exclusive as a Hall of Fame. Um and the result of that was it ended up being kind of a popularity contest if if uh you know, an outdoor furniture manufacturer or a spa dealer in California knew Lori John Jones or Ava Mataya or Earl Strickland or someone like that, they would just vote for those people people that they know people that they heard of. Um, not that anybody who got, who's ever been voted in wasn't qualified. It just was not really, we didn't think it was the right process. So a bunch of us media people, billiard pe- media people, writers, magazine people got together and petitioned to BCA back in 2007. I think it was to take over the, the voting process to make it more legit, to make it more objective. Um, and so we formed the USBMA, the Bayard Media Association, and, uh, put together, you know, some bylaws and put together a structure to vote for the Hall of Fame. Um so I've been involved with that since
4: 2007. Okay. And, and so, let, let me I don't know, maybe I'm skipping too far ahead, and you no. tell me if I, if I, if I am. This year, let's just say this year, where it's usually uh, around the U.S. Open or the Moscone Cup, is the actual ceremony when you uh, actually induct people in. Right. But, so we go back from that. At what point in the year do you guys where where do the nominations come from?
5: Um, well, I'll tell you. There's a lot of people are confused on this too. There's there's not really nominations for the for the greatest player category. Um, And and we usually do this right around this time of year. This is the time where I email everyone who's in the the Billiard Media Association and say, you know, let's start to get our ballot put together so that we can vote. Um, When it actually comes to voting time, there are additional people added in as voters. Uh, Living Hall of Famers all get a vote. Um, And then there's a category we call friends of the game who are promoters or historians or someone who doesn't really qualify as a a media person but who has – Good knowledge of the history of the game and of the players and of the tournaments. Uh, there's a half dozen of, of those people who we kind of uh, appoint as voters, um, and so we all vote together. But this part of the process is just the media group, and we just kind of pare down the ballot and uh, look at you know different things we need to get done. This year, we're there's two there's there's three categories for the Hall of Fame. There's the greatest player category, which everybody's most familiar with. Uh, then there's also a meritorious service category, and there's also a veterans category. Um, and the meritorious service category is just what it is, is people who've, you know, done a lot for the game over the years, who've increased the the visibility of the sport, or who created, an, you know, someone who created the queue, or whoever it might be, uh, would, would get in a meritorious service. And we induct, this year, there'll be a meritorious service candidate, possibly, and a greatest player candidate. Greatest players are there's no nominations for that. You qualify that for that by being over forty years old and have having won a major national or international tournament that's recognized by the BCA. So in America it would be a tournament like the US Open or the old BCA Open or, you know, that type of thing. And internationally it would be, you know, the World Nine ball championship, the World Eight Ball Championship, events like that. So that's you know, so anybody who's over forty who has those qualifications is on the list and they get just, they
4: get they get to be on the ballot,
5: yeah, they're on the ballot, so and, someone like you know someone like uh Jeremy Jones who uh you know didn't win a ton, but he's over forty and he won the u s open once he's he's eligible to be voted for so then what we do is if this list has it may have twenty players on it. And we send that list to the voters, and the voters write back and and submit as many or as few of those people as they think deserve to be in the Hall of Fame right now on their ballot. So my ballot, I might send my ballot back, and I might have four people on there. Um, and then we tabulate all the ballots, and the top vote getter gets automatically gets into the Hall of Fame. Um, we can have two. People, two greatest players be elected in one year if both of them are named on more than seventy-five percent of the ballots. If that okay. makes sense. Uh, yeah, So that's, yeah. What, that's what happened. That's what happened the year that um, I believe it was two thousand and nine when Johnny Archer and Allison Fisher went in in the same year. Right. They were. That was their first year of eligibility, and everyone across the board agreed that both of them should be in the Hall of Fame. So, right. So we we inducted two people that year
4: and as uh, as far as uh, how many how many people can actually be on the ballot itself
5: as many as there are people who are qualified there there might be 20 players 30 players 20 you know one year there might be 15 one year there might be 35 if you know if all of a sudden a bunch of players turn 40 years old who all won major tournaments
4: okay i, I yeah i wasn't sure if you I, I had to wheedle it down to like five to... No,
5: no, because then we would just, you know, like I said, the, the way to, to circumvent that, the way to get around that, or or to make that not an issue, uh, to not have to narrow it down, is to say, you know, to the voter, you tell me every person on this list you think deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. So the year that Johnny and Allison were on, I put both of them on my ballot. And you may have put both of them on your ballot. And someone from Pool and Billiard Magazine may have put both of them on their ballot. and. You know, Someone else may have only put one of them under their ballot. So you just count up the total number of votes Allison Fisher got on all those ballots and the total number of votes Johnny Archer got and the total number of votes Kim Davenport got and the total number of votes Jeremy Jones got, and you just go with the hierarchy. Whoever has the most votes wins.
4: It's funny that you mentioned that. Uh, you said Kim Davenport. Uh, I was talking to somebody yesterday yesterday. Uh, I guess it's not. I was talking to Nick Varner, uh-huh. uh, and uh, I was telling him. I said, do "You know, do you have this Hall of Fame works and everything?" They said, "Well, I've got a vote because I'm a player. You know, I'm a Hall of Famer, and we get a vote." Uh, and I said, "Oh, okay." And uh, he said, "You know, that Kim Davenport should be put on the ballot. You know, because." He's won a lot. I guess he's won a whole bunch of tournaments. I didn't know he'd won as much as he had, but Nick started going through them, and he's. Uh, he's yeah, a
5: no. The, well, Kim has been on the ballot for a number of years. Um, and, you know, I'm, I would assume that Nick votes. You know, when Nick votes, he probably adds Kim, ba- Kim Davenport as one of his names. Right. Uh, but not enough other people do to agree make with work. Nick did, to make it to give him the most votes. So, right. uh, you know, Kim Davenport had a great. Career, uh, you know. He's also, you know, it's it's hard for two players to get seven more than seventy five percent of the vote. Right. Very, very unusual. So, so now if you're on a ballot and Ra- Ralph Sakay is on the same ballot, or Mika eminen's on the same ballot, or Jeanette Lee is on the same ballot, there's a pretty good chance, you know, you may you may not be the top vote getter because, you know, while Kim's Kim's resume is really good. Does, didn't match any of those players. So in the years right. that someone gets in, it's usually not you know a huge upset. Yeah, you know, well, well it's, up without, it's, it's, without it's,
4: suppo- it's supposed to be an exclusive club. You know, exactly. It's not supposed to be you can just get in. Uh, that's the whole reason uh, behind having a whole affair. Um, yeah. the, so at this point, if I don't know how much you will in this share uh, how many people do you currently have on the ballot for this year? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, you'd have to give me an exact number. Is it 10, 20? Yeah.
5: Uh, no, probably probably 10 or 12, 10 or 12 or so. I mean, you've got, you know, guys like Jeremy Jones and, and Shannon Dalton and, and Vivian Villarreal and Oliver Ortman and Rodney Morris, uh, you know. Players like that, Gerda Hofstatter, um, Belinda Campos, Belinda Calhoun—you um, know, players like that are on the ballot. So it'll, it'll be a good, it'll be a good ballot. There's a lot of good, solid players on there. It's just uh, so there's you know, only
4: one, there's only one great, only one great player Hall of Fame. There's not one for men and one for women, right?
5: No, correct. There's the okay. greatest players, and then what, what we have also, as I mentioned before, is the veterans uh, wing of the Hall of Fame. And that's for, you know, someone like, you know, Jimmy Mataya, you know, who won a world championship and, and you know, was on the ballot, the regular ballot for years and years. And at a certain point, we take people off the ballot. Once they hit 60 years old, if they haven't been elected, they get taken off the ballot. And they get moved into a pool called the Veterans Pool. And every other year, uh, a group of the media members gets together and looks through that pool and says, you know, do we think any of these players have been overlooked and deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? Do we want to put anyone's name forward to the general ballot? And that's the way Danny DiLiberto got in a couple of years ago. Uh, that's the way Jose Perica got in last year. They were players who, you know, their their misfortune was they were on the ballot at you know when their careers were kind of ending as top players. They were on the ballot back when, you know, uh, trade show exhibitors were doing the voting. And so they really had no chance because they really didn't have the recognition. The, the, you know, they weren't as recognized among those people. So all of a sudden they turned six years old and they still haven't been voted you know, voted in yet. They go into this other pool and the uh, media members looked over that pool a couple of years ago and said, you know, we really think Jose Perica sh- should should Definitely be in the Hall of Fame based on his record, and, and they recommended it to the to the ballot, and he passed on the ballot.
4: Okay, so you got the uh, now the Meritorious Service. Um, I'm trying to think who was who was Meritorious Service last year? Was that Barry Hearn?
5: Uh, two years ago it was Barry Hearn, yeah.
4: Who was it last year? Uh,
5: well, we we go every other year. One year it will be a Meritorious Service candidate, and one year it'll be a Veteran Player candidate. Okay. So two, gotcha. two years ago was Meritorious Service. That was Barry. Last year was Veterans Committee. That was uh, Jose Perica. So, you know, some Meritorious Service, that is a category that people are nominated for. People write in and say, I think that, you know, the, the Jansko brothers who put on the old Hustlers tournaments in Johnson City, they should be in the Hall of Fame. Okay. We'll add them to this list, and then we get a, a committee together and we go through the list of nominees for the Meritorious Service and make a determination whether we think um, anyone's name should be put forth to the ballot. You said
4: people people can write in. Is that anybody can write in?
5: Sure. But they've also got to submit the backup that would rationalize this person, qualify this person as a Hall of Famer.
4: Okay.
5: You know, we're not going to, you know, we can do the research on it, but, you know, it, it helps if they... If people submit someone's name, if they give us the background of why they think this person needs to be in the hall, should be in the hall of fame, um, and when people from the veterans committee or the meritorious service committee get put forth, then it's not, then it's just one name, and the the people who vote just say yes or no, and if they get more than fifty percent yes, they get in.
4: Okay. So how how close are you at this point to? Being able to send out the actual out. ballot to um, people well, the, players,
5: gonna... the player's ballot is, is relatively set. You know, we just send out copies to everyone to make sure that we're not missing someone obvious who should be on there that we didn't think about because, you know, it's always taken, the more eyes that can see something, the better off you are. Was um, I on
4: it? Was I on it
5: just tr- for meritorious service? Not yet.
4: No, no, not...
5: no, t- no <laughs> just, just for playing ability. For playing ability? Not yet.
4: Oh, yeah. it be a long time. There's,
5: a, there's always time. Uh, no, it's um, so this year the Meritorious Service. You know that's that's what will take the longest is is to find out how many people have been nominated and then to have you know that's a smaller committee that discusses that and we get on the phone and we talk about the various people and say you know I think this person should be or I think this person's not qualified and this is why. Uh, and again, you want it to be a very exclusive Hall of Fame. You don't want Anybody right. who has just been, you know, he was a really great guy, and and he was always, you know, ready to pitch in when people needed help. I mean, that that's that's different to me. That's give someone an award for that, but don't put him in your Hall of Fame. So, um, you know, but everybody's got their own opinion and their own their own vote in this. So, um, it, you know, it's a process that's worked out really, really pretty well. Um, you know, unlike. In the old days, like I said, the BCA used to just sit in a boardroom and say, let's put this person in and let's put this person in. And there was a year in the early 80s when the year that Steve Miserak was inducted, um, and Steve Miserak deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. No one would ever argue that. But he was pretty much inducted that year because the BCA, which at the time was kind of a struggling organization and didn't have much money, um, you know, Miller-Lite, who Steve was working for at the time uh pretty much said that you know if Steve gets into the Hall of Fame we will will host uh the Hall of Fame dinner and uh ceremony um and so not surprisingly the, the BCA board at the time said I think we should put Steve Mizerek in this year and you know everybody had jumbo shrimp in the ballroom at the uh Columbus Hyatt in Ohio so uh you know it's it, Back then, it was just a little looser. It was just we. It, not right, I mean, snow, the, like you,
4: like you said, there's no doubt they shouldn't have be been in the, in the Hall of Fame way. But he way, got one, in. One, one way or another, it he would.
5: got. In. He would have been in for sure. But that year, I mean, he got in ahead of Luther Lasseter. He got in ahead of Joe Balsas. He got in ahead of some pretty big players who had already been through. But you know, they didn't have sponsors who were going to pay for a shrimp dinner. So. Uh, well,
4: I so are you are you going to have the. Hall of Fame induction ceremony at the Moscone Cup again this year, or is uh, it going to be the U.S. Open?
5: Stupid? That was that was one of the things that was um, asked of the USBMA members when I sent out a letter last week, saying these are our two options: we can try to do it in Vegas again, we can try to do it at the U.S. Open again. What do you guys think? Um, there's problems, you know, with each with each one. Uh, Vegas is a is a nice, sexy little venue, and and it's a great you know, crowd, but it's also, you know, frightfully expensive there. Um, and the Hall of Fame dinner is something that that the USBMA actually puts on. Um, and so we have to find sponsors and, you know, people who will, benefactors who will foot the bill for that. Um, and it's a it's a much bigger bill when you're out in Las Vegas. Uh, it was a little easier to, to get sponsors a couple of years ago when you have Barry Hearn and Jeanette Lee because they're such big names and they had so many you know, corporate partners ar- around them uh, that it was a pretty easy sell. Um, if you know, you're, if you're inducting someone who's not of that stature, it's a little tougher sell.
4: No, that was going to be my next question. Who pays? Who pays for the
5: yeah, it's, all the it's time? The, it, the industry does essentially. It's it's you know we we go out and and uh, ask you know industry partners for for their help. Um, and a lot of the companies in this industry have been extremely gracious. Uh, they realize the importance of it. Um, you know, they they realize what we realize in, in doing the Hall of Fame dinner. The, the BCA actually wanted to um, eliminate the Hall of Fame dinner back in 2009 uh, when the association was really, you know, struggling financially. And, that's what uh, I
4: heard. I, I wasn't going to say it, but that's what I heard. Uh, from my thoughts went from when you took over when you i say you took over Um, Well,
5: yeah me as me as as the media group and 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 what happened was the bca had to make some really tough decisions financial decisions uh at the time and um you know the the banquet cost them x thousands of dollars every year and and it was struggling for attendance at the time and they they decided to just cut it out and uh the USBMA, who had been doing the voting for a couple of years, basically we all got together and said, This isn't right. You know, this, this needs, you just can't send someone their plaque in the mail, um, and their jacket in the mail. They, they need, they deserve to have a night that their family and friends can, can see them and congratulate them and where they can give a speech. Um, and so we asked the BCA for permission to, run the run the Hall of Fame banquet if we could drum up enough money if we could get enough sponsors would they give us their blessing to go ahead and run the banquet and they said yes and so we've been doing it ever since and and we do it for for that one reason the one reason is there's players that deserve this night they deserve to have a special night and we all put in a lot of time on this you know with the voting and with putting the banquet on and, you know, none of us obviously get paid for it or anything like that, but you do it because you know that these, these players deserve to have a special night where they can sit there and 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 thank people that they want to thank and where people that love them can see them get honored in this way. I mean, that's, that's the only reason we do it.
4: And, and, I, think, and I think you're right. It, it, it does deserve more than just sending a, a jacket or a plaque uh, in the mail to somebody and And you guys do a good job i've been i mean i've been one or two i've been i've definitely been a one marvel fan banquet. The food was good everything was it, it was it was a good, a good time it's a
5: nice evening it's you know it's 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 like going to a wedding i mean it's banquet food and it's a it's a banquet setting you know but it's it's you know, it, it's just enjoyable because um you know everybody's always so happy for the inductee. Um, and we have a lot of fun with it. And the other Hall of Famers go there and, and welcome their new member into their club. And, um, you know, it's it's an evening that, that, you know, that they cherish for the rest of their lives. And, and when they, you know, no one starts playing pool thinking that they're going to get into a Hall of Fame or that they even want to get into a Hall of Fame. But after a while, when you start playing tournament pool and you start winning titles, you know, selfishly and with a little bit of ego somewhere in the back of your mind you gotta be thinking geez you know at some point i hope i get a pat on the back for all this and and that's what the hall of fame is
4: yeah i spoke to uh darren appleton about it a little bit uh just saying you know i don't think he's even old old enough yet
5: yeah he's he's not he's he's getting close and and you know he'll, he'll i don't think that there's you know anyone who'll argue he'll he'll get a lot of a lot of consideration for the Hall of Fame pretty quickly. Um, and, you know, uh, it was, it, I think was, next year, but,
4: Shane, is it Shane next year? Will is it? Uh, I think
5: Shane's still a couple years. I think Shane's still a couple years out. But he's yeah. another guy who you know most likely will be you know a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, yeah. And so again, you know, this is what these are the type of things what makes it tougher for people like Kim Davenport and some of the older players who uh, right. were around in an era when you know. Nick Varner was still in his prime, and Mike Siegel was still in his prime, and Mizraik was still in his prime. I mean, it, it's it's it was tough to win titles in those days. So, the resume may not look as big as someone else's, but when you when you look at it in terms of when they played, um, you know, winning three four tournaments in a year is was a a big deal back then. So, right. um, but it gets tough. Then all of a sudden, you come up against Shane Van Boning on the ballot, and and good luck.
4: Yeah, so, exact. Yeah, exactly. That's the a- I don't know. The, 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 I don't want to say the, the problem, It's it's, a, it's a, a, a role of fortune, I guess, isn't it? The, it
5: well, it, eventually, eventually everybody who, you know, the way we look at it is eventually everyone who deserves to be in the Hall of Fame will be in the Hall of Fame. You know, if it ends up going too many years and you end up on the Veterans Committee, whatever the case is, um, if you made that kind of mark in the game, you will be in the Hall of Fame at some point.
4: I I'm I'm sorry. I uh I think I never got a, an answer from you. Or maybe I did and I wasn't listening.
5: Okay. Where
4: <laughs> Just I'm thinking about the next question I'm gonna ask you while I'm trying to listen to you. Uh um, we
5: decide where it's gonna be this year?
4: Exactly.
5: Okay. <laughs> um I was kinda dancing around that because we haven't decided <laughs> we haven't decided hundred percent. I did ask everyone for their input. My guess if I had to guess with my gut, it would be that it'll be at the US Open, uh just because uh um you know having it out in las vegas is is such a big undertaking um it was great the last time it was fantastic the Moscone Cup it was a big it was a big crowd it was a lot of fun you know um had a lot of foreigners there uh but again it's it's a that's a tough one to pull off yeah so my, my guess is it would it would it will likely be at the u s open
3: okay.
4: well i uh i'm i'm thinking i'm going about all the information i can.
5: Well, that's uh, probably more than you needed and more than you wanted, but uh, but the well, Hall of Fame is it's it's an interesting um, process, and uh, but it's so important to the sport to have a Hall of Fame like this and well, and to to value it and cherish it and and try to do it as do the best job as we can to like I said again give the give the players you know uh, a moment that they that they deserve.
4: Well, I, I personally thank you, and I know there's many people out there fans and and participants who would thank you very much for you getting involved and making it a a prestigious event
5: well thanks there's a lot of people who put a lot of work into it and um and it, it's nice you know it's nice to know that people appreciate it and uh um uh, but you know again it's not about us it's about it's about the players so
4: well is there uh who's who's gonna who in your opinion who do you think is going to make it I, I know
5: you're speculation. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I wouldn't even be able to speculate because, you know, in, pre- on, in, previous, in previous years I could have, for sure, because in previous years I could say, well, Jeanette's on the ballot this year. Although the first year Jeanette was on the ballot, she lost out to Mika Eminen, Um which was kind of a surprise, uh, just given Jeanette's, you know, notoriety. Uh, but, um, you know, there's some really great, you know, you mentioned Kim Davenport certainly has, you know, a, a great, track record. Belinda Bearden, Calhoun, uh, Campos, she's got a great resume as well. Gerda Hofstetter, um, Oliver Ortman has always gotten a lot of good support in the past. Has never really gotten enough votes to be in, but um, he was you know, one of the first European players to come over here and really make an impact here. Can you uh, mean Matiah? Uh, well, Matiah is in the Veterans Committee, so he would be under consideration for next year. Okay. Uh, because he's over 60, so he's kind of he's not on this ballot anymore. He's he would have to be reviewed and has been in the past couple of years reviewed by the Veterans Committee to to see whether they think that his he's deserving of being in. So this is more just players who are still under 60, and uh, but are over 40 and and have won a national title. Vivian is on the ballot. You know she's she's won a lot of WPBA tournaments. During a lot of years where there was, you know, she had to play through the whole era of of Lori John and, and Robin and then Allison and Karen, you know. So for, for her to win as many WPBA titles as she's won through those years with those players, Ava and Lori John and Allison, all being at the top of the game, um, you know, that means she was a pretty good player at, at that time, too. So there's nobody on this list that I that I would look at and say they've got no chance. Um. But uh, yeah, we'll just do, have to wait and see.
4: Do Do these people know that they're on the ballot?
5: Yeah, yeah, they do.
4: Every Everybody knows that they're on the ballot. Sure. Okay. Hmm. And and this, what do you say? Twelve of them.
5: Uh, I think they, I don't have the whole list in front of me, but it's probably eleven or twelve. Yeah.
4: Okay. We said Jeremy Jones. Oliver Walkman. Well,
5: you've got Belinda. Uh, Vivian um uh mary Keniston um kim Davenport I'm trying to think who else uh rodney Morris of course oh you uh, you
4: said uh shannon Dalton
5: shannon dalton uh, yeah I'm trying to think i I don't i have off the top of my health had to have the rest of them but yeah um, but it's yeah, it's a good list.
3: Well, that's good. Good.
4: Um, hopefully, uh, everybody will get their uh, uh, get their votes in and 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 get the right person in.
5: So. Yeah, well, uh, I, to me, they've always gotten the right person in, and you know, like I said, everybody who's into Hall of Fame to me, does you know, was deserving of being in the Hall of Fame. They just always don't go in in the order some people think they should go in.
4: Right, right. I know uh, Jose Perica, he was sad at one point. I remember seeing him but uh, he got uh, it it was one year, I can't remember who was going in, but he was like, I don't know, I don't know what I got to do. What do I got to do to get in this thing? What do we got to
5: do? <laughs> yeah, he was it was a tough that was a tough call with Jose because I said you know, like I said, his when he first got on the ballot, it was still being voted on by industry members, and they didn't know Jose Perica from Jose Feliciano. So, it, um, you know, and then when it did get to the point for him to, you know, when we were when the media members were voting and the other Hall of Famers were voting, um, the ballot was just really really tough. And then he turned 60, which put him into the Veterans Committee, and um, you know he was certainly one of the great players of the game. Um, I think you know his the number of, um, like pro tournaments, rec- you know, tour tournaments that he won was probably not as many as some people thought, you know, would be needed to be in the hall of fame, but nobody doubted his ability. So it was like I said with him, someone like him, it was just a matter of time.
4: I, I heard a story and you, and I'll finish up with this. I, I heard a story and, uh, you tell me if there's any truth to it. Okay. Um, the Hall of Fame, whoever, the BCA uh, approached uh, Earl Strickland to put him in the Hall of Fame. And uh, he wasn't, I, I believe he wasn't 40 yet, maybe, uh, or or something like that. He might have not been 40. I, I can't remember what the deal was. But he said, no, I don't want to be in the Hall of Fame yet. That's for when you're old and retired and when you, you're done with. You, you. I don't want to be in that just yet.
5: Yeah, I don't remember the exact circumstance. I remember him saying that. Um, and the circumstances may have been that when he first got on the ballot, he didn't get in the first year or two, and he thought that he still had some playing time left. I mean, he was, you know, when he won the world championship in Cardiff, I think he was probably 40, um, or close to it. So. Well, what
3: what
4: happened is this. He said, no, I don't want to be on. Uh, it's for old people, whatever it might be. You know, I'm not done. I've still got time yet. I'm still young. Mm-hmm. And yeah. th- then the IPT came out, and Trudeau paid $30,000 to each Hall of Famer that showed up to his first <laughs> different inaugural event. And almost kicking himself going, Oh my yeah, god, right. I should I should I should have got thirty thousand dollars for
5: <laughs>
4: But being in this thing, I talked myself out of thirty grand, which probably yeah. wasn't the first time they had done it, but
5: Yeah, yeah, probably not. No, that's that's true, that's funny.
4: <laughs> All right. Mike, thank you so much for your time and explaining uh how how everything works a little bit better. I mean I'm probably sure there's still questions in people's minds as to exactly who's the people and how how many are the total voters how many do you think
5: they are uh total voters when you include the the usbma list is about 30 um there's probably about a dozen to 15 living hall of famers and then there's six friends of the game um you know so you're you're closer to 50 50
4: okay yeah all right. I, I just wanted to just keep across my mind all of a sudden. Yep.
5: Mike, again, I
4: appreciate my friend. You stay warm in Chicago. It's probably getting nice right about now.
5: It's not bad.
4: And uh, hopefully we'll speak to you again soon uh, when the uh, Hall of Famers are released. And uh, maybe we can have another chat.
5: Happy to talk to you any time.
4: Thanks a lot, buddy. I'll speak to you soon. Okay. bye Well, there we go. Uh, that's our... Explanation of how the Hall of Fame works. <clears throat> I hope it made sense. Uh, it's, I think it's a more complicated system than most of us think it is. Uh, just because I, I figured there was the BCA, and a few other people, and they just sat there and in a meeting and said, okay, this is who it is. But it goes, uh, there's a more of a process to it. And it seems like they're picking the right people for the most part. I know there's a lot of people still who sh- I think should be in the Hall of Fame, but that's just me. I don't, you know, there's got to be more people than just one who agrees with that. So um, that's it for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you got some information, as usual. And uh, until next week, this is Mark Kentrell, the Legends and Champions Report. Brought to you by Neil's Garage Cabinets of Mesa, Arizona. Have a great week.